Good morning, friends. My name is Kelly Johnston. I serve here as pastor of Children and Family Ministries, and I have the privilege of preaching and reading God's word for us today. So I want to encourage you to grab a Bible, um, find a device where you can look up our scripture today, uh, which comes from Isaiah chapter 40. This is a beautiful passage, and I, I would love it if you kept your Bible open as I preach through this passage today. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 6, a voice cries out, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your enduring word. And we are mindful as we come to this word of our fleeting faithfulness, like the flowers that are beautiful for a moment but fade away. And we are grateful that in this uh, ever-changing world, we have an eternal word from you. And so I pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would bring these words to life for us now, that you would use me as your servant to speak some truth into uh, the heart of each person listening today. God, we trust you in this time. Amen. Now, I imagine that for some of you, when you hear these words from Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort, you immediately hear the sounds of strings playing and a tenor voice singing those words from the King James Version of the passage, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. From the first part of Handel's Messiah, that classical masterpiece uh, that tells the story of Jesus from even the prophets foretelling his birth, his death, his resurrection. I'll say I listened to Handel's Messiah several times as I was doing my sermon prep this week, and um, Uh, The real earworm for me is uh, that Every Valley piece, and I've just been walking around my house singing Every Valley, but we'll get to that part in a minute. (laughs) 
when my husband hears these words uh, from Isaiah 40, he reminded me of a joke that one of our professors at Wheaton College would tell over and over again. This professor would host a gathering at his home every Friday afternoon, a happy hour of sorts, but for Wheaton College students, so we drank tea. And uh, Dr. Ruprecht would invite his students saying, come for tea, my people. Get it? Comfort ye, my people. Comfort ye, my people. Well, when I first got this preaching assignment, the words comfort, comfort jumped off the page to me. And I thought, oh, Lord, let me somehow offer comfort to your people as I preach on this text. Because we are living in a time that is so uncomfortable in so many ways. To go out in public, we don our mask and we say a prayer that we don't get sick or unknowingly get someone else sick. For many, this daily task of going to work, and this is the daily task of going to work and earning an income, praying every day for protection. It requires an uncomfortable risk day after day. Others are learning new and uncomfortable ways of working from home, working remotely, staring at a screen for hours on end. And many, including some of my family members, and I'm sure some of yours, are out of work completely. Would love to take the risk of going out into the world to earn an income. And yet, at this point, there is little hope for a new job or new opportunities anytime soon. We are living in an uneasy, uncomfortable time. Those with kids feel pressed in and frequently overwhelmed by the responsibilities of schooling at home. Those who are alone feel more alone than ever. And oh, how we long to be a people together in this space, to gather together anywhere, uh, to comfort each other and care for each other as a church. Our hearts are weighed down with grief from so many different losses. We worry for each other's well-being. We feel the weight of injustice. We feel the weight of centuries of racial injustice. We feel the stress of political instability. And we cry out to God, how long, Lord? How long must we, must we endure this? And today, God's response is a word of comfort. A word of comfort in the midst of the uneasy, the unsettled, the uncomfortable. You see, when God's people first heard these words from Isaiah hundreds of years ago, they did not hear stringed instruments and they did not hear a silly joke about tea and they did not get every valley in their heads from Handel. No, the first word hearer, as hearers of this word were people who had been exiled. They had seen their city destroyed. They had either been sent away or those who were poor were left behind in the rubble. And they were a people who lived daily with the consequence of their rebellion against God. If you read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, you'll find a lot of discomfort. There's certainly hope sprinkled in, but you'll find a lot of harsh words, warnings, woes to a people who were turning their backs on God. God's people had chosen to worship idols instead of the one true God. 
They had put their trust in earthly rulers rather than Yahweh. And when they lived out this misguided faith, they ended up neglecting the poor and oppressed, the ones God had called them to care for the most. And God made his people feel the discomfort of their sinful ways. God allowed foreign powers to overcome them, to exile them, to enact God's punishment upon them. And if you really want to feel the discomfort of those people in exile, go and read the book of Lamentations, where deep sorrow over the destruction of Jerusalem, God's holy city, where that deep sorrow is given voice and there is no comfort to be found. Just in the first chapter of Lamentations, over and over again, it says there is no one left to comfort Jerusalem. Lamentations 1-2, bitterly she weeps at night, speaking of the city of Jerusalem. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there was no one to comfort her. Lamentations 1-9, her fall was astounding. There was no one to comfort her. Lamentations 1.16, this is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. Lamentations 1.17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. And Isaiah 40 is a response to that lament. It's a new word to those people in exile. It's a new word to those ones who had suffered such devastation and destruction. Whereas in Lamentations, there was no comfort to Jerusalem, the city of God. Now this word comes, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When we study the Old Testament prophets in our confirmation class, we talk about how prophets have three tasks. They speak judgment about people's sinful ways. They proclaim hope for the future, and they point to the coming of the Messiah. You see, Isaiah 40 is a turning point from that conviction, that judgment towards comfort, towards hope towards even the Messiah. And while we all long for comfort, we feel that comfort from God much more deeply when we also face the grief, when we face the judgment and the hardship. And such is the ethos of this season of Advent that we are in as a church. This is a time of of waiting, of anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the one who comes with healing, with justice, with comfort. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that German pastor who was imprisoned for standing up to Hitler, he wrote from his prison cell about Advent. He said, not all can wait This was a man who was waiting in prison. He said, not all can wait, certainly not those who are satisfied, contented, and feel that they live in the best of all possible worlds. Those who learn to wait are uneasy about the way of life, their way of life, but yet have seen a vision of greatness in the world of the future and are patiently expecting its fulfillment. 
The celebration of Advent, Bonhoeffer says, is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. And friends, is this not where we find ourselves now in Advent 2020? Many of us may look to the trappings of the season and find ways to numb our pain, distract ourselves from the discomfort. But what is at the heart of our longing for a beautiful Christmas? What is at the heart of our longing for light and beauty? What is at the heart of all those longings is a desperate need for God. What is at the heart of our longing to just feel better, to feel free, to feel content is a longing for a savior, one who can rescue us from our sin and brokenness, one who can comfort us. And remember that this comfort is not just going and and finding what soothes you. The word comfort actually means to strengthen with. This is a strength that comes from God. And God says he is making a way. This is the promise in Isaiah 40. As we move on to verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rugged, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. God is making a way to enter into the longing human heart. God is making a way to break into our hurting world. I love that line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus at his coming. Now, when God's people heard that word wilderness in Isaiah 40 verse 3, their thoughts would immediately turn to the Exodus, the 40 years of wandering in the desert before entering the promised land. But here, God says that the way through the wilderness is for God. He is coming to his people. And this way will not be a meandering path. Instead, it is a straight highway with valleys raised up and mountains brought down, rough and rugged plain, smoothed and evened out. Even in the wilderness, even in the exile, even in a season of distance from God, of disconnection from God's people, even in a season of great discomfort, God is making a way. God is making a way through the wilderness for him to come and meet with his people. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. quoted these words from Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5, in his famous speech at the March on Washington in August 1963. While lamenting the injustice of racial discrimination across the United States, he spoke a word of hope to those gathered, saying, Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, my friends. Let us not wallow in that valley. And this is when gospel singer Mahalia Jackson, standing off to the side, said, tell them about the dream, Martin. 
tell them about the dream because she had heard him preach about the dream. And he set his notes aside and started preaching about the dream. And I hope you all know those words. We've heard them for almost 60 years, some of you. The dream that one day we might see true equality in our country, that one day the descendants of slaves and slave owners would sit together in true fellowship, that children wouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, and so on. Go read it. As he spoke about this dream, Dr. King couldn't help but speak those words that he had stored up in his heart. This is one reason why we memorize scripture, kids. He couldn't help but speak those words he had stored up in his heart from Isaiah 40. And he said from the King James, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope, King said, and this is the faith that I go back to the South with. Dr. King's dream is our dream is God's dream. That the glory of the Lord in all his justice and righteousness and healing power and compassionate strength will be revealed, will be made known to all. That God would make a way to reveal this to all people. Little over four years after the march on Washington, Dr. King preached on Christmas Eve at his home church, Ebenezer Baptist in Atlanta. And no one knew that that would be his last Christmas on earth. But of course, just four months later, he was assassinated in Memphis. But on Christmas Eve in 1967, King preached about peace, and he returned again to his dream. He said, I must confess to you today that not long after that dream, Not long after talking about that dream, he, he mentions the March on Washington. Not long after talking about that dream, I started seeing it turn into a nightmare. Only a few weeks after his speech in August 1963, 16th Street Church in Birmingham, Alabama was bombed by white supremacists, killing four young, innocent, beautiful black girls. His dream had turned to a nightmare in a matter of weeks. And it turned to a nightmare in many other ways. The poverty of black Americans going ignored, uh, riots emerging, war breaking out in Vietnam. And yet, on Christmas Eve of 1967, despite his dream becoming a nightmare in so many ways, King said, I still have a dream. Because you know you can't give up in life. If you lose hope, somehow you lose that vitality that keeps life moving. You lose that courage to be that quality that helps you go on in spite of it all. And so today I still have a dream. And he quotes Isaiah again. I still have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill be made low. The rough places be made smooth and the crooked places straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. God is making a way. King's dream is our dream is God's dream. That God will enter into our broken world, enter into our nightmares, and not just bring us comfort, but save us, rescue us, restore us, reconcile us. And if we needed reminding, verses 6, 7, and 8 speak of the fragility of life. 
Verse six says, all people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. We don't need a pandemic to remind us that life is short and fragile, but we got it. We got it. I didn't need cancer to remind me that life is precious and fleeting, but I got it and I cherish every day. We, we need God's word to remind us how our faithfulness is so feeble. It's like a flower that fades. It's a good thing we have a faithful God whose word endures forever. Friends, a word from God is so much more than just black markings on a white piece of paper. With his words, God created all of the universe. And with his words, God can create hope and peace in our hearts and in our world. With the word made flesh, God sent us a savior. God's word, God's enduring word, God's word of peace and hope and restoration entered into our broken world to begin a project of saving us. And he calls to each of us today, inviting us anew to make a way for him to enter in. Make a way in this wilderness for God to enter in that we might see his glory. I mentioned uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer earlier. I have to say, I've been drawn lately to preachers who ministered in dark times, who faced big challenges. This time, I'm so sick of the word unprecedented. (laughs) Is anyone else? (laughs) And yet, I imagine that living through uh, World War II felt pretty unprecedented to many ministers. So another preacher I came across this week um, might be a familiar name to some of you as well as Martin Niemöller. He also was a German Lutheran pastor, also sent to a concentration camp for opposing Nazi rule. And I came across his Christmas Eve service from 1944. He preached from Dachau concentration camp. And speaking of the coming of Christ, he said, God the eternally wealthy and almighty God enters in to the most extreme human poverty imaginable. No man, no person is so weak and helpless that God does not come to him in Jesus Christ, right in the midst of our human need. And no man is so forsaken and homeless in this world that God does not seek him in the midst of our human distress. And a little later, he says, God comes down to us and cares for us. And he does not single out the strong and the good in order to abandon himself, abandon to himself and to his fate, the feeble and ill. No, God comes down to each one of us, even perhaps especially those of us who are weak, who are struggling who need the coming of Christ so much. God comes into our discomfort and he offers a word of hope and peace. And in the final verses of this passage, we are reminded of the character of this God who comes. 
Verse 10 says, see the sovereign Lord comes with his power. He rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And then in verse 11, the other side to God, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This is a God beyond our imagining. He is strong and mighty like a warrior fighting for those he loves and yet also tender and compassionate like a shepherd carrying the vulnerable. Is this not what our hearts long for in this season of waiting, in this season of discomfort and unease? We long for a God who is strong and powerful and can bring the change that we seek, that we need. And yet we know we need a God who will draw close and carry us through these days. So friends, how will we respond? How will we respond to this word of comfort? Will we get strength from God as we respond to this word of Isaiah 40? Well, I think that there is a call to us in this passage. I've already talked about preparing the way, and I want to challenge you to consider this week how you might take steps in your daily devotional discipleship life to make a way for Jesus to enter in. How might Jesus enter into your heart and your home and your world anew? God comes to us. He loves us. He wants to be with us. And we simply need to open ourselves up and make a way for him to enter in. And we need to consider the ways that we might make a way for him to enter in even to our society and our our world. But we are also called to proclaim. We might say we are called to prepare. We are called to proclaim. We hear this call in verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And so as you prepare your hearts for Christ to come anew, I want to challenge you also to find ways to proclaim the truth of his coming the real truth that yes, we are broken. Yes, our world is hurting. Yes, we need help. And yes, God enters right into that wilderness. Let us proclaim the truth of this Savior who comes to comfort us, to strengthen us, to fight for us, and to carry us. Let me close with prayer. God, I pray for my friends this morning who are watching and I pray that you would bring them comfort the kind of comfort that comes from a strong and compassionate God give them a sign that you are carrying them in this time that you are fighting for them that you love them and that you will lead them closer to yourself as you come to us in Jesus name Friends, thanks so much for joining us for worship today. Before we end this time of service, I just want to bless you as we like to do at the end of our service. Friends, as you go into this week, may you go knowing that there is a powerful and compassionate God 
who walks with you. And may you receive from him his blessing. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.